1: Welcome to Scramble. This is Episode 5, Anxiety 101. We are going to talk about what anxiety looks like in children and why it can be so hard to find. I'm your co-host, Nikki Shields.
0: And I'm Chad Douglas. Nikki, it seems like Episode 1 should have been Anxiety 101, but nonetheless, it's fun to take you to school, right? Before we start this episode, Nikki and I want to take a moment to say a sincere thank you. When we started this project our goal was to spread awareness of anxiety and give the general public a chance to learn more about it in turn understand that some bad behavior in a child is actually more of a call for help.
1: Yes, we also want to help those families who live with anxiety. We hope to offer tips and tricks to help keep things in check.
0: So uh, thank you so much again when we started we thought maybe you know a f- few you know tens of people would listen and after doing 4 episodes we have more than 400 Downloads. And um, I got a friend who's into podcasting, Chris Ketters. um, And he told me, he's like, when you start, he's like, anything like 26 and above is considered a success. And we had well over a 100 downloads with that first episode. So Nikki and I were both blown away. And I want to take a second to give a shout out to Chris Ketters. Uh, He was nice enough to give us a shout out on his podcasts. He does too. Um, Wild Quincy is one that, if you're in the Quincy, Illinois area, um, it just takes a a lot of nice um, historic. Features. Uh, He's been nice enough to ask me on it twice. Um, We have a lot of fun with that. So he and his co-host Travis Hoffman talk a lot about Quincy. And then uh, his other podcast is Lost Boys of Hannibal, which takes place back, um, happened in 1967. Three boys uh, went missing. Um, They think they were in a cave. And he and Frankie Campbelletta have been doing this for three years and are, are now like boots on the ground, like investigating this cold case and getting really close and getting exciting stuff. So Lost Boys of Hannibal, Wild Quincy, if you got a second, check them out. They're well worth your listen.
1: We thought that it would be a good time to read some of the really great reviews that have been submitted. And so um, I have one for you here and I I know that I'm going to butcher your name, um, but it was submitted by my Shaherazade. I I don't think that I said that correctly, Chad, but um, (laughs) it's titled, this podcast is for you. Have a kid? Know a kid? Used to be a kid? This one is for you. The hosts of Scrambled are kind and clever, and they're offering insight and tools to help us understand and support the young people in our lives. Can't wait for the next episode. So thank you so much for submitting that review. Yeah, that helps thank you. us.
0: It, it helps us. And This is another thing I learned from um, Chris, who affectionately has been known uh, to Nikki and I's podcast, Chris, just to kind of shorten it up and to, to put a cap on it. But Apparently, the more reviews and ratings you get on a podcast, the higher you go up lists and it gets more eyes on you. And since our whole goal in this is to raise awareness, the more eyes on this thing is better. So we uh, ask you please to give us a review or give us a, a rating. Five stars is awesome, I guess, because that moves us up the ladder a little bit faster. (laughs) I also want to take a second, Nikki, and talk about last episode we did, episode um, four, where we welcome to your brain. And you gave us some techniques. And again, I still feel like I should submit that episode to my insurance card so you get some money because it worked. I use those techniques. We talked in the episode about one time my son had a meltdown. Here's how I handled it. And you told me how to better handle it twice since that episode aired. Um, I've gotten to use it in my house and those techniques worked for both myself
1: and my
0: son. So thank you. And on behalf of our listeners who hopefully use those techniques, thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Well, uh, that's why we're here. Uh, There are some very simple things that we can all do that just make our day-to-day interactions go smoother. So I'm happy to hear that those are already connecting and already making a difference.
0: And if you missed episode four, check it out and download it. All right. Now let's get on with uh, back to school. I feel like we need a school bell Um, and get back into a school session here with uh, this episode five. A quick story to tell you. Um, Picture a very happy baby. A little intense, but very focused, but generally happy. Then the baby loses that. He now becomes very irritable and over-the-top angry about just the smallest, tiniest things. That's actually how one parent described her son to me when I did a two-part series on childhood anxiety back in my TV days. Think about that for a second. A child, a baby, goes from very happy to just losing it. He was angry. Kids grow up, personalities change, but this mom knew her kid. She brought up the mood change to his pediatrician, who then referred the child to a behavioral therapist, and he was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. His dad told me you could physically see this boy's body change when he would get angry. It wasn't that the kid was angry per se, he was just a ball of anxiousness. It didn't know really how to handle it, so his fight or flight mechanism kicked in. For this kiddo, it was a stay-and-fight type scenario for sure. For others, it's a flight, running out of the room or crying. On this episode, we're going to talk about how you can spot anxiety in your child or a child in your life, whether you're the parents, a teacher, doctor, coach. These kids rely on us adults to help them as they grow. So Nikki, you're a therapist, right? Yep. Okay, good. So let's make this a short episode. Fix it. How do you spot anxiety
1: in children? Chad, I wish it were that easy. (laughs) If it were... We'd be done with this episode, Mm -hmm. or we wouldn't even have a podcast and I'd be unemployed. Uh, Sad trombone.
0: (laughs) So why is it so hard to diagnose or even discover anxiety?
1: Because anxiety is a shapeshifter. It can look like ADHD, oppositional divine disorder, depression, and a whole host of other things. Remember from episode one when I mentioned that the doctor thought my anxiety might be a tooth infection? Yeah, Uh, Because the fight-or-flight response makes some people escape, some fight, and some people freeze or shut down, anxiety can look very different from person to person. A child with the instinct to flee when they're in danger could display symptoms like hiding under their desk, avoiding social situations, or being very fearful in new situations. On the other hand, a child who has the instinct to fight when threatened may display anxiety as aggression, like hitting, kicking, throwing something, or yelling And then a child who tends to freeze when stressed may not appear visibly anxious at all, but might not be able to perform on a test, may refuse to do work, or might go silent when upset or anxious. Children with anxiety often appear distracted, have trouble focusing, are fidgety, or have trouble sitting in their seats. Chad, how many different childhood disorders do you think I just described?
0: I don't think I have enough fingers to count them.
1: At least fifteen or twenty. I was going to say I don't
0: even know if I have fingers and toes enough to count as many as you just (laughs) mentioned. One thing I didn't hear there, though, that that made my brain kick in was shyness. If you have a kiddo who's shy, is that a possibility that they're just an anxious child, but they're just shutting down?
1: Very much so. That is possible. Now there there is a thin line. You can just be shy and not have anxiety or struggle with anxiety, but oftentimes kids who are painfully shy. Um, it turns out there's some anxiety underneath that. So what many teachers or parents think might be ADHD or oppositional behavior or just chronic shyness is often an underlying anxiety disorder.
0: So how early can signs of anxiety start to show?
1: I believe it's possible to see signs of extra anxiety as early as infancy. Really, Hindsight is clear for many parents. Um, and looking back on the first few years of life, they can point out things that might have been anxiety related. For example, my older daughter cried a lot in restaurants when she was a baby. We later learned that she had sensory problems and that bright lights and noise were probably very uncomfortable for her. Huh. Um, and that's the same with anxiety. You mentioned in episode two that your son had some early signs that you saw as like tantrums, but they were probably more related to his anxiety, right?
0: I would say so. And even when you mentioned infancy, I remember because we went in because we thought it was funny and cute. And we took pictures and video of him when he cried himself to sleep in his crib. And he's sitting up and he's all hunched over and looks uncomfortable. But gosh, the poor guy was probably just in a fit of anxiety because mom and dad weren't around and we're sitting out there like, oh, how cute. He cried himself to sleep. But looking
1: back, uh eh and that that's hard because sometimes that hindsight is a, is is really really clear ooh maybe we should have done it this way or i missed this opportunity or i didn't notice that and and i think i'd like to take a minute to just kind of um support parents there we do the best we can with what we have we yeah. don't we don't know always what what the right answer is and we just have to do the best we can and yeah we figure it out as we go along um but i'm going to guess that you know he was learning to soothe himself and maybe he cried um in in a way that would have indicated anxiety but um, you noticed it when you had the opportunity to, and then you took yeah. action. And that's the important part is when you recognize it, you figure out what you need to do about it.
0: When sometimes in parenting, I think they fake it because, you know, when he was first born, you know, it's the firstborn child. So we would call our parents and be like, this is happening. What should we do? And both of our moms were like, you should do this, this and this. I can tell you now, and my kids are eleven and eight. When they grow up, they better not be calling me for advice because I'm be like, "We just (laughs) did." Like I don't know where moms just faking it, going, "Yeah, do this, honey. This is this is what works." Because I don't remember.
1: I I mean, I think you 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 gain some comfort with it when it isn't your own baby, when you're not in the hot seat, when you're not trying to to make it. You know, just right. You you can look back and go, Oh, I remember that. Here's what I did. But a lot of times, and even, you know, my kids aren't grown yet, but I have moments where I think, hmm, I have not historically handled this particular thing very well. <laughs> and going forward, I am going to try something new. Uh, so it, you know, I, I think parenting is the hardest job we'll ever have. Yeah. And we, even with the best intentions, we can make some mistakes. Totally more. But it's also so
0: fun. And that's, <laughs> you know, I have a coworker who's expecting, and she'll hear some of the horror stories. And then she'll be like, What are some good things about parenting? And I'm like, Um, but it's like, it's it's hard to verbalize (laughs) the good stuff, but there's so much more good stuff. It's just, you remember that bad stuff. I mean, watching them Mm -hmm. grow when they learn a new task or when they accomplish something Mm -hmm. that they've struggled with. I mean, you just, you can't beat the feeling you get when you see your child or another child beaming with pride. Yes.
1: I love when they learn to, they're learning to talk and they're stringing words together and really starting to make sense of their world. It's just so fascinating. And I don't Feel like I appreciated my own kids in that stage as much as I have other children because I was too in it. It was mm-hmm. too hard to see, you know, because I was caught up in the worry of, you know, are they healthy and am I doing this right? Yeah. And um, you know, if I ever were able to rewind, it would be so I could watch them learn to talk again. And I just I yeah. think that's that's one of the more fun. There are a lot there are a lot of fun parts. The birthday parties can be fun. The learning to speak stressful. can be fun. The the first. Um, but there's a lot of hard stuff too, and and well, that's one of the reasons we're here because we know how hard this stuff can be, and we want parents to have good information.
0: I mentioned in the last episode that I liked coaching, and my son was four when I first helped coach a basketball team. And there was a kid; I mean, no one had played. They were all four years old, right? Four and five years old. And this kid would come to practice, and he would do okay, but you know, wasn't a standout athlete at four. And when he made his first basket in a game, I, like I seriously turned and wiped a tear from my eye because I'm like, Aww. that's. That's why I love this, and that's why you know he was so excited. I was excited, and to, to think that I had a small part in that, it's just, I don't know, just really rewarding. So see, good things about parenting and being around children. Lots people. of good things. So back to anxiety, the whole reason we're here. <laughs> what are some early red flags to know this child's behavior could be anxiety?
1: I want to be careful with this response for a couple of reasons. As we have said before, anxiety is normal, and we all have it. Uh What we're talking about on this episode, though, is anxiety that is beyond what we need for safety and motivation. Um, You should see your child be fearful or anxious in some situations. That's perfectly normal and functional. Your child should also cry sometimes. Not every time they get upset is it a problem. But things to pay close attention to and report to your pediatrician would be delays in reaching developmental milestones, um, inconsolable crying without a clear trigger, Avoiding social situations that other children do seem to enjoy, extreme rigidity about routines. So, toddlers thrive with schedules and routines, but when you make a slight change to that routine and they are just over the top distressed, that may be a red flag. Um, It's not unusual to see little kids kind of really um, like what, be able to predict, be able to predict what's going to happen and plan ahead. And so, it's okay to see them be a little bit um, off because you change the pattern, but an extreme response to that or a lot of distress when you make a change in their schedule, that could be a red flag. And then another thing, sensitivity to loud noises. Um, Again, that's fairly common in toddlers. New and unexpected sounds should trigger a response. But if a child seems phobic or deeply afraid of everyday sounds, that's something you should share with your doctor.
0: Then why is every toddler toy so loud?
1: (laughs) It, it, It makes me wonder. It yeah. makes me wonder. And maybe that's helping to condition them so they can handle new sounds. But um I've worked with children who were so afraid of the sound of a, a toilet flushing that they wouldn't okay. go to the bathroom. And that, you know, that interferes with toilet training and things like that. Sure. And um, while that doesn't necessarily say, yes, for sure, this child has a difficult level of anxiety, it it's something your doctor should be aware of.
0: Okay. So if you're an adult in this child's life, whether you're a parent, or aunt, uncle, cousin, teacher, whatever, and you spot some of these signs what are your next steps?
1: Okay. So first things first, track them. Okay, I, I love to recommend tracking because it's one of the best ways to, A, feel like you're doing something in a situation where you're not really sure what the answer is. Um, and two, it gives you great information to give to that child's doctor mm-hmm. to help better understand. So for track um, the problem behaviors, write down the things that you're seeing, um, watch them over a few days or weeks, and then talk to your doctor. Um, he'll let you um, know what's normal, what's not normal, what, what you should maybe keep your eye on, and having that record or that, that data that you've kept the, uh, with the frequency or the pattern of the things that you're concerned about will help them to identify, um, you know, what, what the next step should be. If your child is very young and the concerns are, are pretty mild, you'll be told to watch and see, and they might give you some ideas for how to, you know, build some skills and help with their development. But if the symptoms are more severe, your doctor might suggest counseling um, or therapy of some kind.
0: What if you're a teacher or child care provider?
1: Um, if you see these signs in children you work with, talk with the parents, let them know your concerns. You know, don't, don't suggest, you know, any specific diagnosis. Don't, don't tell them to take their child to get on medicine, but let them know what you're seeing and that you happen to to know that it's a little bit different than what other peers are doing. Um, chances are the parents are already a little bit worried about it and a little bit aware. So um, just start a conversation with them about your concerns.
0: Good. Yeah. We're forever grateful for my son's first grade teacher who first brought it up to us thinking it was ADHD. And so we you know, listened, because that's another thing I think if if somebody who's not the parent brings it up, then it's up to that parent to choose to listen to what that adult is saying, or they Mm. can ignore it and go, oh, well, they don't know my child. So very thankful for her for bringing that up. So let's go back to something we mentioned way back in episode one. Why do some people have more anxiety than others? You said we're all born with it, keeps us safe. Let's see if we can bring a little more clarity to why some have more.
1: As we said before, There are lots of reasons why some people have problematic levels of anxiety. There are three factors that are the most common. So one, a traumatic or difficult life experience. Mm. Two, genetics. Or three, the environment.
0: So what happens to us and then our genetics determine how much anxiety we have?
1: There is a genetic component to anxiety for sure. Research has shown this. Oftentimes, There are patterns of family members with similar symptoms. Mm. Um, But the experiences you live through, the environment you grow up in, the ways you were raised, how you think, how those around you think, your personality, all of these things play a role in how you experience anxiety in your life and if it causes clinical problems or not.
0: So is there a way to predict if a child's likely to have anxiety ahead of time?
1: I suppose that's possible. But with so many potential factors and outcomes, it would be tricky to be very accurate with this. Most of the children I've worked with who had difficulties with anxiety could identify a life experience or two or three that seemed connected to their symptoms, but they were also able to identify a family member or two or three who had struggled with similar symptoms. It's very rare that one factor can be labeled as the cause of anxiety difficulties in children.
0: Okay. So let's do a little vocabulary lesson here, Nikki. What's the difference in words like nervous, anxious, and worried? Is there a big difference?
1: I love words. Uh, they're one of our most powerful tools when it comes to dealing with emotions. But it can also be pretty confusing, especially to kids who are experiencing those big emotions, but haven't yet learned the words to describe the experience. So there, for me, in, in my everyday life, my practice, there isn't a huge difference between words like nervous, anxious or worried. But it, it more depends on who's using them and what meaning they've attached to them. For my purposes and what I typically will try to teach kiddos and families um, to simplify things a little bit is that the word nervous is more of a basic experience of of like low level or low grade anxiety that is totally normal and necessary. So this would be a word that I would associate with how a child might feel before like being called on to read out loud in class Mm. or how you and I might feel right before we hit the record button for an episode. (laughs) It's totally normal and natural to feel nervous before doing something in front of other people or like trying new things. And children can start to experience nervousness at a very young age, and some are even more naturally nervous than others. Like you mentioned in, in a previous episode, shy children or uh-huh. like kids who take a while to warm up to others, um, kids who are more hesitant to try new things, that that can be described as nervous. But none of that means they have an anxiety disorder. This type of anxiety, though, it's typically short-term. It will typically go away right after you do the thing that kind of set it off. So that's, that's how I would view nervous. Okay, cool. Anxious is another word you mentioned, and it's a little further up the spectrum in my mind, though. Um, When someone says they're anxious, my sense is that their nervousness has probably increased to the point that they're having physical symptoms um, or that anxiety is higher than it needs to be to keep them safe and motivated. So I typically would use this word to describe a reaction that is slightly more intense than typical. So in in the lineup, it'd be like nervous than anxious.
0: When you say physical symptoms, we're talking tummy aches? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, tummy Head aches, headaches. headaches, feeling, you know, maybe shaky or maybe um, feeling like the, you can't catch your breath.
0: I say, or a panic attack.
1: Yeah, yeah. It could be the, the start of a, of a panic response, which um, that's some nice foreshadowing there. We're going to be talking about panic attacks in more depth soon.
0: Okay, so we have nervous nervousness is when you're going to do something out of the norm and mm-hmm. you get over it. Then we have anxiety, which is nervousness 2.0, and you're mm-hmm. getting physical symptoms of something. Yeah. Then you have worried
1: yeah and and worried is a little different yet still and i don't necessarily see it as higher than anxiety so it doesn't necessarily fit on that same spectrum that i was describing but it's more if somebody says i'm feeling really worried right now that would cue me in that they're probably having some bothersome thoughts that kind of just are running through their mind or they might have that like hamster wheel of worry they might be thinking what if um Mm -hmm. maybe hyper focusing on a particular problem or situation and so that's that's what worried tells me To be clear, though, other people probably have way different definitions that they've attached to these words, and that's okay. It's totally okay. The key, though, is to talk with the person in question about what these words mean to them, so that if they use them, you know kind of what they're talking about, and it's easier to have a conversation. So in in therapy... You said vocabulary earlier, and I love that because one of the first steps that I would do with a child in therapy is kind of have a vocabulary lesson. So one of those early sessions, we would be talking about what are all the different words that might describe how you've been feeling. And there are a ton of words related to the word anxiety. I mean, that 15, 20 different phrases and words that can come up that, that can kind of fit with that one you know emotion or that one experience. And when kids have all those words, and then they can kind of walk through what they mean and identify the ones that fit more for them and sort of discard the ones that don't, they now have a whole new tool to put in their toolbox. So it'll be easier for them to tell their friends, their parents, their teachers, what they're feeling. It doesn't feel like this general unpleasantness. It's a lot of other things that they can describe.
0: Hoping they're open to telling their parents, their teachers, and friends. The whole Mm -hmm. point of our podcast there is to start the conversation. So when you're comfortable telling your teachers you're a nervous kiddo or you have anxiety or you worry a lot, telling your friends so that way when they see that happen. They can come help you get through those Mm -hmm. trouble times too. So good. Nikki, the word nerd to the rescue. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) What kids and adults too, as you said, need to understand is that 100% these are completely normal. It is completely normal to be nervous. Sometimes we've all been there, right?
1: Mm -hmm, Maybe even every
0: day. That nervousness though should be fleeting and momentary, but to feel nervous to the point that it's getting in the way of you or your child enjoying things, completing tasks, That is when anxiety becomes the problem.
1: Yes. And that's the kind of anxiety that we're talking about here. Anxiety that increases and causes more trouble than it prevents.
0: The most important thing to remember is that whatever the cause of anxiety, your child or your family does not have to suffer in silence. We can and should be talking about this. On our next episode of Scrambled, we will discuss the different types of anxiety and how to figure out why once you start treating anxiety, you might unlock some other conditions which have a whole new set of symptoms.
1: If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast so you can get our latest episodes as soon as they are released and tell a friend about it. The best way we can start our conversation about childhood mental health is for you to talk about it and spread the word.